Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, co-host of NPR's The Indicator Podcast, Stacey Vanek-Smith, and BuzzFeed senior film reporter, Adam B. Barry. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and to my guests. Should we Thank announce you. your good news now or later, Adam? Uh, we, it, 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 <laughs> it's, I'm I'm changing jobs. I'm I'm moving from BuzzFeed to Variety. Uh, so you guys, senior, senior entertainment, entertainment writer, yeah, correspondent, yeah, ruler, empire in chief. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So we have so much to talk about this week on the show, but one of the things that we're not going to talk about right away is impeachment. Mm. Okay, good. You're welcome. I, I fully support Adam. this. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. We will get to it later. This week has been full of impeachment proceedings and chatter. And how. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll get to that later on in the show. But first, to start the show, I want to play some audio from a podcast that people are using these days to escape impeachment news Ooh, okay. and the news in general. Let's hit some of the audio of this actual podcast that has these sounds in it. Can you guess what that is? It's a kitty. It's a purring kitty. It's a cat purring. There is a new podcast full of just half-hour-long episodes of a cat named Bilbo purring. I can I can see how that could set off somebody's ASMR yeah. like response. It fills me with a level of dread that I didn't think was possible. Really? Why dread? I don't know. It's just a terrifying sound. No, Stacey I feel so it. calm. Like I actually feel better. For me, it's so it's, nice. I, I, it sounds like it's there's like a the Death giant, Star coming. There's a giant saber-toothed tiger hovering <laughs> over me. It's the about lion. to eat me. It's very excited <laughs> yeah. that it sees me and it's going to devour me at Fresh any moment. Prey. Yeah. yeah. So this podcast, uh, it is voiced by an orange cat named Bilbo, who's like an internet celebrity. <laughs> Bilbo has seventy-three thousand followers. This podcast is called the Bilbcast. Oh. <laughs> Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Anyway, uh, as Aunt Betty said, we have two distinguished guests here this week with me. Friend of the show, Stacey Vanek-Smith, host of the daily NPR podcast all about economics, The Indicator. And Adam B. Very, current senior film reporter for BuzzFeed News, soon to be senior entertainment overlord at Variety. <laughs> it's a little bit of an over... Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yes, yes. So as I said earlier, we're not going to talk about impeachment just yet, but we are going to start the show as we do every week, asking my panelists to describe their week of news in only three words. This week, we have two really big business stories, uh, both of which have nothing to do with impeachment. Yes. Although... Your three words are about a topic and a thing that could possibly very well have an impeachment TV show at some point. Why not? Uh, right? Sure, absolutely. Adam, what are your three words? My three words are outdated cultural depictions. Ooh. And okay. So Those this are is some this good words. Yeah. yeah. And like so this Scrabble is this is this is a little bit of a <laughs> this is a little bit of a roundabout way to get to the story. But so this week, Disney Plus launched. What's that? Disney Plus. <laughs> What? Well, Sam, if you have, apparently you've been living under a rock for the last yeah, couple of weeks yeah. because uh, the Walt Disney Company has employed every aspect of its multi-tentacled conglomerate. This is Disney, pro- ABC, ESPN, Marvel, Marvel Pixar. Pixar. But like the promotion for their new streaming service, mm-hmm. uh, Disney Plus, it launched on Tuesday. Yes. And to me, it is really the big signpost of one of the biggest shifts 
in the entertainment industry in a generation. Now, shift I don't think from uh, shift from the way that people consume uh, media now mm-hmm. to the way that they will in the future. Okay. So to give you a sense of it, the the New York Times had reported in a story just leading up to the launch that analysts were predicting that Disney Plus would have 8 million subscribers in its first seven weeks. The day after it launched, Uh Disney announced that it had 10 million signups in its first day. All of them parents of toddlers looking to show their kids Frozen. Or Star Wars fans. To to bring it back to my my three words, one of the things that uh, people who follow Disney know is that several of their early animated classics especially uh, are just... A little bit racist. Just a very much bit just, just a racist. very much racist. Because you know what they're not going to put on Disney Plus? Song of the South. Song of the South. Well, it's that's, not there. That's just a whole racist thing. It's just, <laughs> yeah. The whole of it yeah. is racist. Yeah. But, you know, Lady and the Tramp has the Siamese cats. Peter Pan, of course, has the uh, What Makes the Red Man Red song. Oh. So uh, in for each of these, as well as several others, uh-huh. they're in the description of the show that Uh you have to kind of click into to get to. At the very end, it says that essentially this has outdated cultural depictions, which is their way of saying, it's a little bit racist, (laughs) y'all. And so you better better just know that going in. They kept everything in, though? They kept everything. They could have re-edited these these movies, right? Yeah, I think this gets to a a thing that I I think the Hollywood itself and the culture at large is really grappling with. Is how do we recognize our past cultural history in a way that doesn't really erase it. And so this is Disney's way of kind of navigating it. Navigating it. I yeah. love it. Stacy. you actually covered the streaming wars and the introduction of Disney Plus on your podcast this week. Yes. And one of the interesting things that you talked about is how even though so much of this brand new streaming adventure we're all on right now seems new and fresh, in some ways, this peak streaming is leading us back to a system that in, that feels in some ways like old school cable, the bundling of all of this stuff. Yes. Well, this sort of started with realizing that everything was leaving Netflix because Netflix yes. used to have all these TV shows and movies. And then like one by one, it's like everything's getting like Picked Friends off. is just yes. about to leave, as you well yeah. know, Sam. I know you have a big love I have of Friends. A big love-hate with that love one. hate relationship with Friends. <laughs> yeah. The Office is leaving. Friday Night Lights has left. A whole bunch of movies. And it's because all of these producers are like taking their content back in order to release that content on their on their own streaming services. On their own streaming services. And so the problem is if you're a consumer, like you have to sign up for all these different services. So these bundles have already started where like, in fact, Disney's offering these bundles where I think you can get ESPN and Hulu. And, and Verizon. <laughs> Right. But the bundles are like these weird bundles plus because they don't just involve streaming services. They also involve other things like phone subscriptions or in the case of Apple, like equipment, like the Apple, um, like Apple Plus might come with like some fancy new phone they want you to buy or the new or like some beautiful new monitor, things like that. So it's like. It's like we're back in the days of the cable bundle, but it's like worse. They, Yeah, I mean, because that confusion mm-hmm. of how can I get it and where do I get it and how do I pay for it is going to continue to be an issue that people are going to work out until somebody else comes along and says, okay, I've got the one box that mm-hmm. you put next to your TV that has all of it. Like a like cable, a cable box. box. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Stacy, you also have three words that are not impeachment related. Yes. Okay. Four-day work week. Uh Uh-huh. 
so the four-day work week is basically having a moment. Yeah. Um, this has been kind of getting talked about for a while, but there was a lot of news about it this week because Microsoft tested out a four-day work week at its offices in Japan. They tried it out for a month, and they basically gave everybody every Friday off for a month, and then they like ran all this data to see what difference it made. And here is what happened. So sales per employee went up by 40%. 40%. Wow. 40%. Yeah. So basically productivity went up by 40%. Also, they the offices used a lot less stuff. So they the number of pages printed dropped by almost 60%. Electricity consumption dropped by almost a quarter. Oh. And in the end, almost all of the employees said that they were satisfied with the program. And you were telling me that Amazon's going to try this soon in the States? Yeah, Amazon's piloting some 30-hour work weeks, and Shake Shack is apparently also trying it they out. They better not close my Shake Shack down on Fridays. <laughs> I think it's mostly just um, how many hours oh, people okay. work. I, don't th- I think your Shake okay. Shack will be open on Fridays, <laughs> okay. but I think you may have – maybe you'll get your burger 40% faster. I'd be down for that. And then a lot of people cite France, where they have – they passed a 35-hour work week. Oh. And productivity did go up. So apparently, mm-hmm. you know, we just like work – we're more productive if we work fewer days. But there are some problems with this. It was really hard on businesses in France because hmm. they had to, like, hire more people. You basically have to hire more oh. workers often. Uh, and also, people tend to push their long weekends a little bit, apparently. So, <laughs> I would. surprise, surprise. I know I would, too. So, things can get kind of compressed, and then the days that people do work become sort of harried, and that can affect the quality of work. Yeah. So... Not to be a hater because everyone has sort of come out raging for this, but I think mm-hmm. companies are probably skeptical of yeah. of this. And you know, like the five day work week, this is like a factory thing, right? I mean, we would all we still do time cards, right? Like you come yeah. in, you punch your time card, you work your eight hours, and you leave. But we don't really work in that. We're not on. Most of us are not on assembly lines anymore. We so work it's kind in of outdated ways. It is a little outdated, right? We're all getting emails at eleven o'clock at night and you know, working from home or working from a cafe. Yeah. Part of me wonders, you know, this, especially in America, we have this very unhealthy relationship to work and maybe it's a Puritan background or whatever, but like everyone here is a workaholic, it seems. Everyone wants to prove how much they're working to exhaustion. I am not sure that the average American worker would really fully embrace a four-day work week even if they could. It's, it's just, so in our bones to work too hard. It's just it just sounds counterintuitive. This yeah. idea that if you work if you if you work if, less you work more. You work less you work more. That just that I think that there's, you know, anybody who grew up in this country just would have that just wouldn't compute. You'd have to really wrap your brain around it. Well, I also think I mean in Japan they're very famous for having like sort of a workaholic culture and there's yeah. even mm-hmm. a term for like death by work. And and in fact the prime minister actually introduce some caps on overtime hours and things to kind of try to rein this in. So it's interesting that they tried it out in Japan and that it worked so well. I mean, certainly something something that's very interesting between productivity and hours worked. So there tends to be like the more hours you work, the less productive you are during those hours. Huh. I mean, it doesn't it's not like a one to one ratio, but Hope my boss I, is listening. I, well, I <laughs> Go ahead. Um, and so there's definitely um, in the U.S. We're not that productive. There's been this like conundrum for economists. Like, why huh. isn't productivity growing? Why isn't productivity growing? Because we have all these devices and things that make us much more efficient and plugged so in all the time. Yeah, we should be way more productive. But we're not. And so we're tired. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. So probably, I mean, I think there's a lot of diminishing returns a lot in the hours that we work, right? I mean, yeah. we've all done the thing where you get a little bit fried and you're at the office and you've been at the office for like 10 hours and you're trying to finish something and you can't finish it because mm-hmm. you're too tired. And yeah. mm-hmm. I think that is part of it. Um, I'm sure there's a balance in there somewhere. Yeah. It's time for a break. After the break, we will finally talk impeachment. We'll talk with someone who has covered a lot of previous impeachment scandals, Clinton, Nixon. And he'll tell us how what's happening now is similar to those two events in some ways, but how in other big ways, this is like nothing we've ever seen before. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Burlington Stores. Many people go without a winter coat to keep them warm. But Burlington wants to change that with Burlington's annual Coat Drive, hosted in partnership with Delivering Good. Now through January 20th, Burlington is accepting donations of gently worn coats at any of their stores nationwide. As a thank you, shoppers can receive 10% off their entire Burlington purchase. Find a store near you at burlington.com. Burlington. Style is giving back. Support also comes from Discover Card. You check your email or social media all the time, but Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discover makes it quick and easy with their credit scorecard, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. 40 years ago, our militants seized one of the most important religious sites in the world, Mecca. This week on Throughline, how this one event changed Saudi Arabia and the Muslim world forever. Throughline from NPR, the podcast where we go back in time to understand the present. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here this weekend with two guests, Adam B. Very, senior film reporter for BuzzFeed News. Also here with Stacey Vanek-Smith, host of the daily NPR podcast, all about economics, The Indicator. Uh, Before we get into our next segment, question for both of you. How closely are you watching these televised impeachment proceedings? I'm checking in with the sort of like highlights, okay. you know, Stacey, I basically look at look at the impeachment news once a day. OK, um, I asked this because in D.C., watching the impeachment proceedings have become an entire experience. Um, the Hill, several other outlets, NPR reported yeah. that all of these bars are having like impeachment drink specials. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, peach, right? I mean, that that makes you have to go somewhere with that. Right. Yeah. So one bar, Duffy's Irish Pub on 8th Street in Washington, D.C., they have what they're calling happy hearing hours uh, with drink specials. Um, Capitalism. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Don't disappoint. Yeah. One bar. And they're serving drinks for this special with names like subpoena. Colada. Oh, God. And Capital Lounge in D.C. has two drinks. One's called the Quit Bro Go, and the other is called Insane in the Ukraine. Oh, I like Insane in the Ukraine. That's the best one. That is the best one. I was was beginning to wonder if there there is... It's even possible to come up with a good cocktail pun, but then (laughs) Insane in the Ukraine. I bring this up because we're in this week where... 
one of the biggest political events in recent history is happening right now, and it seems like half of America is either checked out or making it a drinking game. (laughs) (laughs) And I have big questions about this because, like, I don't know. Should we be focused more on this? Did we as a country focus more on this when Bill Clinton went through it, when Richard Nixon almost went through it? I don't know. So I called up Leon Nafok because he hosted two seasons of the hit slate podcast, Slow Burn. Season one was all about the Nixon almost impeachment scandal. Season two was all about the Clinton impeachment scandal. So I called up Leon to make sense of this moment compared to those moments. Here's our chat. Leon, hi, how are you? Hey, how are you? So my first question for you, Leon, you have reported on the two previous times uh, in recent history when an American president has faced or almost faced impeachment. Bill Mm -hmm. Clinton in the 90s, Richard Nixon in the 70s. Given what we've seen so far of the Trump impeachment proceedings, which one does this current moment most resemble? I suppose the the second one, I suppose the Clinton one, if only because the political environment uh, was a little more similar to what we have now. Uh, I think a lot of people would trace, you know, some of the kind of intense polarization we see now to the 90s. And I think the Clinton impeachment was sort of like the apex of that. Uh, you know, you you had obviously with Nixon a whole lot of partisanship as well, but it really was not, you know, any comparison to the kind of venom you saw in 98 and that you're seeing today. So, I mean, you know, there are parallels between what Trump is facing now and what Clinton faced and what Nixon faced, but there are also some big differences. You know, people forget there were actually no impeachment hearings for Nixon because he resigned just before it could go that far. And there are some big differences between what Trump's facing and what Clinton faced as well, right? What are those differences? Yeah, well, I mean, so as you as you pointed out, you know, the Nixon thing didn't actually go into a House hearing. There were there was a whole lot of uh, combing through evidence behind closed doors uh, by the House Judiciary Committee. But um, you know, people forget that I think in part because uh, the big show with Nixon was the Senate Watergate hearings, right? Which was maybe like the best analogy to what we're seeing today. You have you know a, a parade of in, you know administration in, in, insiders being called to question in, in, on national television, you know, and it stretches out over extended period of time, there's a narrative that sort of develops, evidence is sort of read into the record. Um, in terms of the, yeah. you know, the big differences, you know, with both Clinton and Nixon, the potentially impeachable conduct was mainly had to do with covering stuff up. Uh, yeah. With this Ukraine story, you're really talking about an act that was somewhat covered up, um, but really we're talking about the underlying conduct. Another big difference between the Nixon hearings and these hearings is with the Nixon hearings, most of the folks that were asked to testify in the Nixon White House showed up. There are a lot of people already (laughs) in Trump's orbit, Giuliani, Mulvaney, I could go on, who just say, we're not going. Yep. Uh, Does that blow your mind? I mean, are you as surprised (laughs) by that as I am? Little can surprise me at this point with his administration, but uh, it's possible, you know, like they learned their lesson from Watergate. They know that exposing themselves to that kind of public scrutiny is not going to go well. I do think there was uh, more at least lip service paid uh, under the Nixon administration to uh, adhering to the rule of law and to respecting institutions. You know, Nixon was not someone who flailed around in public the way Trump does. Mm. Um, he did flail around quite a bit in private, as we learned through the White House tapes. But outwardly, he was you know, very invested in appearing presidential. And I think part of that was 
uh, respecting the rule of law. And, you know, when the Supreme Court ruled that he had to hand over his White House tapes to the special prosecutor, he ultimately did. Obviously, he fought it as far as he could. But in the end, like, he followed the rules. With Trump, it's like, you know, they, they seem to sort of have bluffed their way to finding out that they can just say no and see what happens. I do want to talk more about those Nixon hearings. Mm-hmm. It is hard to overstate how big of a deal they were. So they were televised. They captured the entire nation's attention. All the big networks made it primetime TV at 8 p.m. every evening. You dug deep into this time in American history. Is there any example or anecdote or factoid that can really lay out for our listeners here <laughs> how big of a deal those Nixon hearings were back then? Yeah, my, my favorite factoid uh, that we read about when we were doing Slow Burn 1 was that uh, there was some like either toy company or some just promotional company um, that started selling uh, remote control lie detector tests that you could point at your TV while the people were testifying so you could tell Wait, if they were lying. Wait, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. So you could uh, buy a lie detector <laughs> device to have in your home to hold up to PBS <laughs> yeah. to see if the Nixon administration official was lying or not. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how many they sold, and I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure they didn't work, but but yes, they, there was that kind of hunger. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing that I remember the most from listening to your seasons on Nixon and Clinton is how once these hearings began to be televised, they started to capture the entire the, the entire nation's attention. Mm-hmm. And the thing I feel now when I talk to folks as the televised portion of these hearings begin is that a lot of people are checked out. Yeah, man, I got to tell you, I was on an airplane when they when the hearing started, and uh, I was very happy to see that there were TVs in the seats that that had DirecTV, so I could actually watch CNN while while uh, we were in the air. Okay. But how many folks next to you were watching? It, that's what I, that's what I'm gonna say. Is I looked around, there were like two other people watching. Um, everyone else was just watching movies. Uh, I think the lady next to me was watching Jumanji. Like, I was just <laughs> like, I wanted to shake everybody, be like, you guys, don't you realize that this is this is really important? Um, I do think one of the one of the I think arguments people have been making about you know why impeachment proceedings were necessary is that I think the Democrats have an opportunity to sort of earn people's attention with these hearings, right? Like the Senate Watergate hearings, I don't think they were a phenomenon right away. Uh, they kind of grew into a phenomenon. It's almost like a like a good TV show, you know, maybe starts out uh, with no one watching and then word of mouth starts to spread and people start to say, oh, like there, there's some there's some good stuff, you know, in here that we should be paying attention to. Um, I do think there's a there's a possibility that like the hearings themselves can move, if not public opinion, uh, then at least like get people's attention. Well, this is a thing, and this is a, perhaps my biggest question for you. In what ways has national news media perhaps dropped the ball or not covered this story most effectively? Like, we've managed, we, I'm talking about media, capital M, we've managed to make one of the most dramatic stories in recent political history something a lot of people want no parts of. <laughs> yeah, um... I got to tell you, I'm sort of an apologist for the for the media on this score. Like, I think people are. Really? I think, I, I, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I think it really has everything to do with just the sort of relentless pileup of Trump outrages that it, people cover uh, as best they can, and just I think it's the fact that they cover them and the fact that people keep hearing about them all the time is kind of what results in the numbness. So I don't know, like, what there is to do about it. Like, ignore stuff more, you know, strategically. Like, pick your spots a little bit more uh, conservatively so that you're not burning people out. Um, you know, I think like there's a sort of power, I think, in 
uh, a secret being pried loose, right? So with Nixon, you had these tapes that everyone wanted to hear, and he just refused to hand them over. He refused to release the transcripts. Um, with Trump, and I think he's used this to his advantage, like on multiple fronts, he's just really good at saying, yeah, you know, yeah, I fired Comey uh, because of the Russian thing on NBC News. <laughs> yeah, and what? And um, I think at, at, at a certain point, you just like, you, you see him do this stuff in, in, in broad daylight without any apparent sort of shame or guilty conscience. And you're kind of like, huh, well, if it was that big a deal, like surely he wouldn't just like mm. tell Lester yeah. Holt about it or whatever, like call on the Russians to hack into Hillary Clinton's server. Must not be a yeah. big deal. And so I think with this transcript, they got it out there and like everything that comes after that transcript is kind of like, you know, what could be worse? Thank you, Leon. Hey, thanks so much, Sam. Thanks again to Leon Nafok. He uh, is the host of the first two seasons of the hit podcast Slow Burn about the Clinton and Nixon impeachment scandals. And his new podcast out now is called Fiasco. Their new season, season two upcoming, is all about the Iran-Contra scandal. You can find that podcast on a podcast platform called Luminary. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. Saturday morning. Your week was long. Your time is precious. But why not take 10 minutes to catch up on some of the biggest news stories with Up First, NPR's morning news podcast. I'm Scott Simon. And I'm Lulu Garcia-Navarro. Up First, here at weekday mornings and now every Saturday at 8 Eastern, too. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests this weekend, Stacey Vanek-Smith, host of the daily NPR podcast all about economics, The Indicator, and Adam B. Very, senior film reporter for BuzzFeed News. So glad you both are here. It is uh, time to take the gloves off because it's all time right. for my favorite game, Who Said That? Adam, I'm sitting kind of close to you here in studio. Don't I'm look not going to look script. at your I won't look at your script. Okay. Yeah. Stacey, you've played this game several times. Tell I know Adam I'm terrible at who said that, you can be, but I'm going to work fine. on it. Tell them how it works. So basically, Sam will tell us a quote that somebody said throughout the week, um, a famous person of some kind, and it's a quote that got some publicity, and then we have to figure out who said it. Yes, or even just get close, get a keyword. You know, I'm not Alex Trebek. I'm not a stickler on any of this stuff. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you have the, to put it in the form of a question. Yes, yes. The winner, of course, gets absolutely nothing, except bragging rights. <laughs> Glory. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's get to it. First quote. We have tape. Play the tape. Uh, we are still here, and we are not going anywhere. So we You will heard see... it here first, folks. That's right. Don't listen to the news, always, especially that report. I was going to say The View, but then I heard a guy in there. The guy was a, is a head writer for the show. The actress oh. is one of the lead actresses on this show, which... Uh, is this a soap oh, opera? Yeah, soap? Yes. Is it General Hospital? Keep going. Days yeah. of Our Lives? Yes! Woo! Stacy got it! It's okay, Adam. Like sands through the hourglass. <laughs> <laughs> I used to watch Days of Our Lives really? when I was homesick from school. Yeah. yeah, so the show has been on the air for 54 years, but there are rumors this week that it might wow. be canceled. Uh, that quote you heard came from Christian Alfonso. She plays Hope Williams Brady on Days of Our Lives. And basically all of her fans... And Hope Williams Brady's evil twin? <laughs> Sorry. I wow. hope so. Okay. Well, I, I clearly was at a disadvantage for this one. 
So soap opera fans were in a tizzy this week because reports surfaced that NBC had released all of the Days of Our Lives actors from their contracts, and they said the show would go into production hiatus at the end of this month. And everyone was like, what's going on? What's happening? The show itself said, it's all right. We've taped a bunch of episodes. There'll be new episodes up into the new year. Hiatus has happened all the time. But people that watched the show were kind of scared. I could see the show going away. Not to bring it back to impeachment, but apparently we always do. <laughs> is it in some ways because they're, the the shows are getting preempted because of the impeachment hearings? Oh, I mean, like oh. like the like the the famous thing that happened during the OJ trial was that like viewership for soap operas went way down. Oh in the my 90s. goodness! And that was one of, like that was sort of the beginning of the end of of people making it a regular habit to watch soap operas. Yeah, uh, Stacy, you got that first point. There were a lot of hints. I, there were a I lot. I do give of hints. <laughs> I help out a lot. All right, ready. But I appreciated the hints. Uh, for this next quote, guess what the quote is talking about. I'll okay. give you a hint. It's about an upcoming movie. All right, here uh, it is. This should be easier. Quote, however, his eyes still aren't joined together, as expected. I can't help but feel weird about that one point. But I'm looking forward to the movie's release. Oh, this is the Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes. Yes. Oh. yes. Wow. <laughs> Stacy's like, wow, I had no What's, idea. What happened to his Oh, I think I did hear something yes. about his eyes. What's wrong with his eyes? So there's going to be a new Sonic the Hedgehog movie. They're calling it simply Sonic the Hedgehog. comes out in February. It's going to star James Marsden and Jim Carrey, because why not? Because why not? Yeah, but people are freaking out because the eyes of this hedgehog look kind of creepy. If you both just Google on your phones right now. I I, I know. I, I, like, I've lived through this whole thing. <laughs> Became a whole meme because the like the first time they put out the trailer, right? Uh-huh. The f- original design of Sonic was terrifying. He had <laughs> teeth. He had tiny little beady eyes. Oh, I'm looking at it now. It's weird. So Isn't it weird? It, this yes. is one of the most remarkable things that's happened on the internet, I think, in a long time. Where they put out the trailer, mm-hmm. fans on especially on Twitter lost their minds huh. complaining. <laughs> The director, within a week or less... He changed it? He said, you know what? You're right. We're going to go back and redesign the character from scratch to make it look more like the video game. They redid the whole movie Sonic. They they didn't reshoot it. They just redesigned the CGI character of Sonic to look more like the video game. But that takes time and money, so they had to push the release date. Stop. And then they released the new trailer with the redesigned Sonic, and people were happy. And it's like... This never happens. It won. It's a big win. It won. Yeah. And then people were happy. I tell you what, I will not be watching that movie, even though I do have a Sonic the Hedgehog game on my phone. I like it. Did, so you got that one? Yes. So it's tied. It's tied. All right, last quote. Okay. It's a crazy day in Washington. I'm flipping my wig over the high energy proceedings today. Tensions are high, and the bar for who's allowed in the Longworth house is very, very low. Is this the drag queen? Oh, is this the drag queen who covered the? I got it first. I got it first. (laughs) But I think that I I have a disadvantage because I'm in New York, so I think it's a tie. Oh, (laughs) are you saying there's a tape delay, Stacey? Yes, there's a delay. delay. Wow, wow. It's really cold here. My (laughs) reaction time is slow. You're just reaching. It's okay. I'm reaching all the things. We're going to have to give this point to the newbie, to Adam. You won the game. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So that quote comes from a drag queen named Pissy Miles. Uh, Miss Miles was perhaps the most unlikely spectator at this week's televised impeachment hearings. 
camera crews and spectators went crazy when they saw <laughs> Pissy Miles, this very tall drag queen in a bright red dress and a tall blonde wig, show up to watch the proceedings. Turns out Pissy Miles is on the Hill this week to help a new startup called HAPS cover the impeachment proceedings. She's providing comedic color commentary. Soon to appear on RuPaul's Drag Race season 13. God, I hope I so. Oh, totally. Right? God, I hope so. Yeah. Have y'all seen the photos of this drag queen? Yes. Yes. There's this video. Amazing blonde It's amazing. Hair. There's yeah. this video of the drag queen trying to go through security on the Capitol <laughs> in oh, full drag. That. Like turning around with her hands up yes. and they made her take her shoes off. Yes. 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 <laughs> if having a drag queen there makes more people take this thing seriously or even just watch. Also a little bit of joy. A little bit of joy is good. Yeah. All right. Um, Adam, you won. Congratulations. Well, thank you. How's it feel? Pretty great. I know. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I don't know. I've never won this game. (laughs) (laughs) One day. All right, Stacey, it's okay. I... It's true. You're still great. No, no it, was, it was a good victory. It was That's a good, a good victory. victory. All right. Yeah. That concludes Who Said That. Now it's time to end the show as we always do. We ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They do. Let's listen. Hi, Sam and Sam's Aunt Betty. This is Amelie. And the best part of my week was that I defended my PhD thesis. And I'm Dr. Amelie. Thanks so much for your show. I listened to it when cutting the heads off of a lot of worms. But you know what? They grew right back. To find out how, read my thesis. Thanks. Hey, Sam. This is Renata from Las Vegas, Nevada. And the best part of my week was that I booked my ticket home to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I cannot wait to have a summer Christmas by the beach. The best part of my week was my 37th birthday yesterday. Tonight, we found out. We paid off our house. I am officially a pediatric nurse practitioner. This is Susie. I'm a travel nurse. I live and work in the rainy and cold Pacific Northwest. And the best thing that happened to me this week was that I landed a travel gig for January to April in Miami, Florida. Hi, Sam. This is Marie calling from Miami. I remember when you started the show, I thought if I ever get my green card, I'll send him a memo. So it's been more than two years, and finally I'm taping this to say that the best thing that has happened to me this week is that, yes, I got it. I'm officially a permanent resident. Have a great week. Congratulations, Marie. That is so awesome. Congrats to all of the listeners you heard there. Dr. Emily. Congrats on that PhD. I want to hear all about your work with the worms. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks also to Renata, Erica, Ali, Maya, Susie, and again, Marie. Congrats on that green card. These always warm my heart every single week. Thank I you. It's like the cat purring. <laughs> no. Not the cat purring. <laughs> Not the cat purring. <laughs> Thank you to all you listeners that share the best parts of your week. We listen to all of them, even if we can't play all of them here on the show. If you're someone who's a listener, to these every week and has never sent your own send your own you can do it at any point throughout any week just record your voice on your phone and send that voice file to me at samsanders at npr.org samsanders at npr.org on that note thanks to both of you my guests stacy vanek smith host of the daily npr podcast all about economics the indicator thanks for being here stacy 
Yes, thank you for having me, Sam. And Adam B. Very, senior film reporter for BuzzFeed News. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I've had a great time. All right. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our fearless editors are Kitty Isley and Alex McCall. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Our engineer this week was Leo Del Aguila. And we had very special help this week from Isaura Aceves. All right, listeners, till next time, thank you all for listening. I am Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon. Listener.